Good to be back here to see all your lovely smiling faces, even if I have to endure the insults of my dear brother. <laughs> no, I, uh, I love this place. Um, you guys are, are part of uh, something a lot bigger than yourselves, not just in this place, but all over the world. And uh, one of those places is in Kenya, where, uh, where I serve. My wife, uh, Kim, serves with us uh, in that. Um, we wear a couple of different hats, and I'll get to that, but uh, I am the Director of Pastoral Development for API USA, Agape Project International, and you guys are a part of that. And uh, thank you. Uh, you guys are, are uh, a, a very vital part of what we do over there. And they know your name in Kenya. Uh, brothers and sisters you've never seen uh, know who you are, and that's awesome. And uh, thank you for investing in what we do, especially by sending this guy over to help us teach and train pastors. You know, the number one request of missionaries, of uh, church workers, of, of pastors in third world countries is send us trainers, send us someone to train us in the Word of God. Uh, it's just not something that happens over there a lot. I have to apologize. I had some pictures I was going to show you. They're on my computer, and due to technical difficulties, they will not show. <laughs> so I'll try and paint a picture in your mind uh, with, with this. But uh, we... We're committed to the training and equipping of church leaders in Kenya. And it's, it's starting to grow and spread. We've been ministering. This will be our 14th year. And some of the young men that we've trained up now are moving into other countries like Tanzania, Cote d'Ivoire, um, um, Uganda, uh, South Sudan, training other pastors in those areas, places that um, we would find it difficult to go, and yet they're, they're moving in there. That's one of the joys of what we're doing, the multiplication that's happening with these pastors. And we've, we've always um, uh, been committed to the ideal that we train faithful men who will in turn train others, and that's happening, and uh, I'm, I'm just really excited. The ministry's growing. Some of the other things we do, we help churches who've never had a church building. They've met under churches uh, or under trees uh, for years. We help them put up their first structure, and to date, since, 19, uh, since 2011, we've um, built 25 churches and uh, we hope to build another couple this year. And it's just a, a, an exciting thing to partner with our brothers and sisters over there to do that. We also, in one area of the country, do famine relief. And some of you have been a part of that. And uh, bringing food to the hungry. Just this, this past um, uh, year, we delivered probably... Um, uh, in, in December, um, a little over nine tons of food to 
villagers that don't have a lot of food uh, on the horizon. And uh, this time of, of COVID and, and lockdown has affected them as well and their food sources. So I want to thank all of you who participated with that. Um, one thing I wanted to highlight this morning is uh, we have a message that goes out in all of our conferences. We do, we do some sessions on the sanctity of human life. And um, that has really stirred some of the pastor's hearts. One of them has begun his own pregnancy resource center over there a couple years ago due to that. And we've helped him build that. And my wife, who is a director of one of our pregnancy resources centers in Washington, has, has helped lead that, that charge. And just this year, we provided them with an ultrasound machine. Um, he's, they're, they're in... Uh, they're located in one of the highest abortion, um, black market abortion areas in Kenya. And they're spreading a culture of life over there. And so we're, we're partnering with them. In fact, Kim and I, I'll be headed, we'll be headed over to Kenya in May. Um, I'm going to be doing a pastor's conference. Kim is going to be doing some training with the staff and volunteers over there at uh, Agape CareNet, they call it. And so uh, we'd love to have you guys praying for that as we um, share the gospel, uh, help pastors uh, understand and be able to expound uh, the Word of God, because we feel that's our central, central goal. So we're going to probably have a couple hundred pastors at this conference, and, um, and then we're sending a couple of our guys into Tanzania two days later for... There's a group of about 100, 150 pastors uh, who are begging us, <laughs> come down here and uh, teach us. So we're, we're uh, going to be doing that as well. But I just want to thank you guys for being a part of, of, of what we do at uh, um, API. And uh, I will try to put together a little video that uh, uh, Dan can show sometime uh, of what we're doing because I, I really messed up. Uh, this time. It's technology that bit me, okay, you know. So, thank you for being understanding and forgiving. And uh, let's let's turn to the Word of God, shall we? Um, chapter 4. This is a, a very familiar passage, I'm sure, to most of you here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, would you stand as we read God's Word? We're going to start with verse 17, and we'll end with verse 17 as well. One verse, as we look to God's Word, hear the Word of the Lord. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you condescended to speak to us and uh, give us your heart in um, the words of the prophets and apostles. And so, Lord, we want to hear that this morning. We want to hear what you have to say. Speak, O oh Lord, our ears are open, our hearts are open to you. Would you do that for us? In Jesus' name, 
Amen. You may be seated. And some of you are thinking, oh great, we get a Sunday off from listening to Dan and now we're going to talk about suffering. Well, yeah. I'm sure I'm not saying anything you don't already know when I say that 2020 has been a year like, uh, unlike any of us have ever experienced before, right? I'm not going to say unprecedented, unprecedented. You've heard that too much. I've heard it too much. Um, It's lost any kind of impact, but um, it really isn't, if you stop to think about it. This year is not unprecedented. That is, in in terms of uh, lives uprooted, thrown off kilter, in terms of lost opportunities, in terms of dreams that have been shattered, in terms of economic and social disruption, in terms of political and societal divisions, in all the ways that we might describe this past year, there have been plenty of times like this in the past. Oh, the COVID virus is new. (laughs) That is one new thing. Some of the stresses and the disruptions may, and the particulars may look different than in past times, but essentially throughout the thousands of years of human history, 2020 was not the worst year this world has ever seen. And in some ways, it could be described as better than most. But I think what makes 2020 stand out for us, that the suffering that generally goes on in the world has been brought home to us here in the U.S. in a way that we haven't experienced before. COVID lockdowns, job losses, Home losses, certain freedoms we've taken for granted, missing, capricious government mandates, extreme violence on the political left and on the political right, basic understanding of human biology twisted out of any recognizable sense of understanding, and really the complete collapse of civil discourse in our society has left many of us, I would say, shattered, broken, suffering. Depression and anxiety are rampant. Suicides have have, have skyrocketed. I read a report where Columbia County in Oregon had the highest per capita suicide rate uh, in November. Many churches have experienced deep splits and divisions over the handling of this crisis. And so this morning, I want to I point you somewhere. I want to point you to the unchanging, infallible, hope-filled, promise-giving Word of God on suffering. Specifically, suffering and glory. Now, those are two words we wouldn't necessarily put together, suffering and glory, but the Bible does consistently. This morning, I want to look at, um, first, this passage and others that make this unlikely comparison. As we read, for momentary, light momentary affliction, Paul says, is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, 
you've read chapter 4, you probably know the context. But let me remind you, one of the things you need to know about this section is that this time Paul is, is suffering, as it were, the slings and arrows of friendly fire, although it wasn't friendly. It was his Christian opponents. These guys were engaged, supposedly, in the same proclamation of the gospel that Paul was. These were Christian people, yet they found it necessary to belittle his position as an apostle. They found it necessary to throw shade on his character and, and generally slander him to the Corinthians. They even went so far as to say that Paul's physical sufferings that he outlines in chapter 12 or 11 were proof that he wasn't a true apostle. What kind of apostle got himself whipped by the Jews, right? Beaten by rods and three times shipwrecked. And what Paul says about suffering is that it is light, it is temporary, and it produces something. Suffering for the believer is purposeful. God has a plan. The suffering that God allows into our lives is meant to produce something. I like the NASB rendering of this verse. For momentary light affliction is producing for us. Not just preparing, but it's producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Something is happening through our suffering. Something... Good is being produced out of something not so good. You know, when suffering hits us, I I don't think any of us sort of look around and say, awesome, bring it, God. I, I think we're more likely to say, oh, God, why me? But the Word of God tells us that our present suffering has eternal good in view. Whatever it is that God allows to come into our lives looks bad to us right now, but is intended for our ultimate good. As Joseph told his scheming brothers who sold him into slavery, spent years in prison, and on the other side of that, he could say to them, "God meant you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You see, there is a great good that God intends for us in the things that he allows to come into our lives that cause suffering, cause distress, cause um, affliction. Heard of a, a farmer who had three sons, Ron, Don, and little John. They all had their names on the church membership rolls, but none of them have, had ever darkened the door of the church for years. They just did their own thing. Well, one day, <clears throat> Dawn was bitten by a rattlesnake. And the doctor was called, and he said, well, there's very little I can do. He's on his way out. You better call the preacher. And so they called the pastor, and the pastor began to pray. Oh, wise and righteous Father, we thank you that in your wisdom you sent this rattlesnake to bite Dawn. He hasn't been inside the church in years and has shown very little interest in you. We trust that this suffering will be a valuable lesson to him and will lead to his genuine repentance. And now, O Father, send another rattlesnake to bite Ron and one to bite John and a really big one to bite the old man. 
For years, we've done everything we know to get them serious with you, and nothing has worked. We thank you, God, for rattlesnakes. God intends a great good for the suffering that he allows into our lives. Look at the contrast here in this verse. Momentary, eternal. Light, weight. Affliction, glory. Paul's saying you need to have perspective here. In view of eternity, this suffering is temporary. Just compare 70 or 80 years of suffering and trouble, even if you had suffering and trouble from day one to the end of your life. Compare that with, I don't know, joy and peace without end in eternity. What's the comparison? With respect to the weight of good to be gained, your present trouble is is light. With respect to future glory, there's literally no comparison that works. It's too great. It's too unimaginable. It's too glorious. What should fill our souls with hope and glory and joy is there's a direct causal relationship between our present suffering and our future glory. Suffering produces this weight of glory. And Paul looked at that relationship and said, I'll take the suffering. Dr. Stephen Lawson wrote, We tend to focus on our sufferings, but only glance upon the future glory. We need to reverse this. We must glance at our sufferings and focus, stay gazing upon our future glory. You know, but the weight of glory is not something that just happens in the by and by, the far distant future after we're gone from this earth. Suffering for the believer produces even in this life something weighty, something deep. You know, you can tell when a believer's been through some suffering. There's a, there's a certain weightiness you feel, a depth of character, a solidity that that grounds them. You know right away, this person's been through the depths. You know that they've endured. You know that there's probably nothing that will rock them or shipwreck them. There's a weightiness that sort of centers and holds them steady when the winds of trouble come. Jesus described this person in Matthew Matthew chapter 7, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and burst against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon that rock. You see, the storms will come, the floods will rise, the winds will howl, because Jesus has not promised a storm-free life. But he has promised to make us storm-proof. And that's the issue. Are, are you founded upon the rock of his word? Does that 
Does that steady you when suffering comes? Do you believe him when he says, we'll see wars and earthquakes and famine and pestilence, yet not a hair of your head will perish? Is Romans 8.18 a reality for you? Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Is that what we say when sickness comes, when we lose our job, when a loved one dies, or when we're, when the cancel culture shuts us down, or when the elections don't go the way we want? Is that what we say when life just doesn't turn out like it's supposed to? Is that our attitude when the leadership in our church is not handling this pandemic the way we think they ought to? You see, here again, Paul wants us to compare suffering and glory. In fact, he insists we compare them. He says, consider, in Romans 8.18, consider. It's an accounting word. It means to count, to reckon, to compute to calculate. In other words, add up all your suffering, put it against all the glory that's coming, and he says there's no comparison. There's nothing you can suffer or that you will suffer in this life that bears any comparison, any chance of matching up with what is coming. Martin Luther once wrote, If we consider the greatness and the glory of the life we shall have when we have risen from the dead, it would not be difficult at all for us to bear the concerns of this world. If I believe the word, I shall on the last day, after the sentence has been pronounced, not only gladly have suffered ordinary temptations, insults, and imprisonment, but I shall also say, Oh, that I did not throw myself under the feet of all the godless for the sake of the great glory which I now see revealed and which has come to me through the merit of Christ. Of course, Paul wasn't the only writer of the New Testament that wrote about suffering and glory. The first letter of Peter was written to comfort and encourage believers in the first century who were experiencing the pressures, the persecution, uh, the suffering that goes on in normal everyday life as well as, as uh, uh, the extra pressure of being persecuted for their faith. Turn to uh, First Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. <clears throat> These believers were being marginalized. They were being... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, excluded in their own society. They were swimming against the prevailing tide of Christless worldviews. There were doubts beginning to creep in about the reliability and um, uh, certainty of the promises of God. Uh, They were experiencing trouble to a large degree because they had come to faith in Christ, but they were also experiencing the suffering and hardship that's common to being a human being in this world. 
In other words, it was very contemporary. It was very much like today. So Peter writes to give them perspective on this life of faith. And he says in verse 10, After you have suffered a little while, (laughs) he seems to take that for granted. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Notice these three things. Present suffering, sufficient grace, and ultimate glory. Suffering, grace, and glory. These things run all the way through the Bible together. You will suffer. There will be some suffering you will go through, but Peter says it only lasts for a little while. Expect trouble and difficulty, but it's only for a little while. It won't last. It isn't forever. And expect it under the hand of the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory. In other words, there is stuff going on down here that is meant to prepare you for the glory up there. There are things that look like trouble down here, but they look like, they look like glory up there. We don't understand all the time how it works, but it does. And sometimes we're given a little glimpse of how it all comes together for glory. About three years ago, my wife and I were at a Voice of the Martyrs conference where we heard the testimony of a Syrian pastor who was relating the experience of the Syrian church as civil war raged in that country. And he said, for years, we Syrian Christians prayed and pled with God for revival to come to the churches. There's hardly anybody in the churches in Syria. We spent hours and even days on our knees with generous amounts of tears pleading for God to open the heavens and come down in revival power. And for years, there seemed to be no response. The heavens were closed. And then came 2011 and the Arab Spring and this bloody conflict known as the Syrian Civil War. And he said, and suddenly the churches began to be packed out. People were coming to Christ, not by the tens and twenties, but by the hundreds and thousands And we began to see God's hand move in revival in the church. And his spirit poured out like we had never seen. He said, we prayed for revival and God sent a civil war. He said, no, no, this would be be good. (laughs) A little more suffering would be good for you. And to fulfill my plan. Well, in that civil war, one Syrian ministry leader who lost 11 of his gospel team uh, to ISIS by beheading and crucifixion shared this. He said, these things have been very hard on me. What wrong did these people do to deserve to die? Nothing. But, he said, what is happening more and more is that people are being saved. The ministry is growing exponentially. 
In the past, we used to pray to have one person from a Muslim background come to Christ. Now there's so many we can barely handle all the work among them. You see, the Bible tells us we will suffer, but it's light and it's temporary and it produces a weighty glory. It tells us there's purpose in our suffering. It tells us that there's no comparison between what we suffer here to what awaits us there, not even in the same ballpark. And it tells us that all through this suffering, the God of all grace is at work. And you know, he was no more at work than when he sent his own son to suffer and die for us. Listen to the description of his suffering from Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we're healed. You know, it was his suffering that produced the weightiest glory of all. The Son of God came into our world, suffered the insults, injuries, and injustice of sinful men, and took that suffering and turned it into glory. He endured the suffering, and he died. That all our suffering in the end can't be compared to the glory that is to be revealed. You see... Suffering is common to everyone. Whether you're a believer or you're an unbeliever, you will suffer in this life. But apart from Christ, none of that suffering leads to glory. The suffering that produces glory is the suffering we endure as those who belong to Christ. Just as his suffering produced the greatest glory, so our present temporary suffering produces an eternal weight of glory. In Philippians 3, Paul tells us that he suffered the loss of all things. Why? In order to gain Christ. He reminds us that God sent his son into the world to suffer so that our suffering would not end in God's condemnation, but eternal life. So, do you want this present suffering to count? to not be pointless, to accomplish something, then then the call you hear this morning is come to Christ. Value him above all the sufferings and inconvenience of this life. Hold on to him and know that this temporary light affliction produces an eternal weight of glory. And be encouraged this morning that there's nothing you're going through. Nothing you're going through right now. Nothing you will go through can ever be compared to the glory that is to be revealed. Rejoice this morning that the God of all grace is accomplishing something great and glorious in your life. That's something to hold on to. That's the Word of God speaking to us.
hold on to that. Amen. Well, let's uh, stand. I'll pray. And then, Dan, you can take it over. Well, Father in heaven, grant us, we pray, the divine perspective we desperately need in this life of faith here on earth. Don't let us be blindsided by the suffering and the evil we experience, as though some strange thing were happening. Remind us that our temporary suffering leads to eternal glory. Remind us that even when we cannot see it, the God of all grace is accomplishing his purpose, and everything in our lives works for our good and your glory. Be gracious to us and bless us and make your face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all the nations, we pray. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen.